Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Celebrate this July 4th with a special presentation of A Capital Fourth. Join your host, Vanessa Williams, with performances from Sea to Shining Sea, starring Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Alan Jackson, Cynthia Erivo, Pentatonix, Renee Fleming, Train, Jennifer Nettles, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen, Ali'i Cravalho, Laura Osnes, Ali Stroker, and the greatest live fireworks display in the USA. It's A Capital Fourth, sponsored by the Boeing Company and American Airlines, Sunday, July 4th, 8, 7 Central. Only on PBS. Hello. Happy, yeah, what's the crack? I, uh, happy podcast I narrowly, day. I narrow, yeah, happy podcast day, man. I narrowly avoided the most just, I mean, a week removed from declaring ourselves like the poster boys for a middle class white male privilege. My neighbor was like literally just out, out the window there and just down um tending to i guess you could say the shrubbery or whatever the fuck you know some kind of hedge situation with a very very large and very very loud hedge trimmer strimmer yeah trimmer i don't know one of those do. and it was so loud that i was like oh fuck i was like i'm gonna have to go outside and be like uh, excuse me i'm actually recording a podcast inside so if you don't mind and i was just like oh my god this is like the most larry david thing of just this week i suppose and i was man i was like just fucking freaking out about it freaking out about it and then a miracle happened, Craig, when I, she started to roll up the extension lead and I was like, I think she's going in. I don't think I need to do this. <laughs> like, it was horrible. You see, horrible. My, I'm, immediately, I'm immediately thinking, like, what's your relationship like with this neighbour thus far? Have you had uh, anything in the cordial. way of conversations? Or, okay. Uh, just your standard hello, how's it going? And their cat keeps coming into our fucking garden. That's about it. So you haven't extended the conversation to, yeah, I'm Dave and I, I do a podcast. I mean, <laughs> because I'm thinking she was probably going, all oh, right, Dave is doing his podcast. It's it's half on, six or six o'clock on a Thursday. Are you, are you suggesting I should go door to door like a sex offender and be like, hello, I have a podcast. I'm moving into the neighborhood. No, Not I haven't done like that. like a great. sex offender, like a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> okay, right. Okay. Evangelize, I mean, it, it, man. Evangelize. I was hoping I was hoping that we could like get into more kind of frivolous territory and not offend people this week, but too late for that. Let's go. <laughs>
my name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 217 of the No Encore Music Podcast. Craig Fitzpatrick, how does it all go for you, man? What's happening this week? Everything's going well. Um, the lockdown continues for me. I think everyone else is getting back to normality, but I'm not ready yet, Dave. <laughs> I've got kind of comfortable. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's an element of that, I suppose. Um, how How is Leafy Leak Slip these days? Leafy Leak Slip. That was one word into two there for some reason. I don't know what I did. Not that leafy. Um, at the moment. Oh, sorry. Okay, well, I apologize. <laughs> you should see it in late summer, though. You must take a trip out here. <laughs> I used to. Is it within your twenty day? Taking many a trip you to your uh, to your to your couch. Well, sure. Like from from the start of next month, we can go wherever the fuck we want. I believe we can. If, if we I've can. Read the if we dare correctly. Yeah. Do you dare? That's the question. You know. I guess we'll find out. I'm considering going back to Drada for the first time in almost a year. Have at me, Sounds Drada. Quite, <laughs> Sounds quite drastic, Dave. Oh, it has to be done. It has to be done. Um, yeah, so listen, uh, great response to last week's episode, by the way. I want to thank everybody for sharing it, listening to it, talking about it. That's really, really cool. I mean, you know, not why we did the episode. We're not looking for kudos or nothing. I mean, you know, Craig might be on now. I don't know. Are you looking for kudos, Craig? Is that a thing? No? Generally, I am, but but not in this <laughs> regard. Okay, <laughs> Elsewhere in my life, yes. Kudos. Yeah, I was, I, was talking to, I was talking to Sonic Architect Adam about this, and it was like, oh, we had a great response to the episode. And then you're kind of like, you have this weird relationship where you're like, well, you know, it's weird to feel celebratory about an episode in which, you know, like if you listen to last week's episode, you know, it was about very important issues and yeah. I hope people enjoyed it. So my, my whole attitude towards the episode was that I was hoping to help and not hinder in some fucking tiny way. And once again, huge thank you to Merley and to Max Anger who spoke with us last week. Uh, Merley single, by the way, Till the Wheels Fall Off has ma- raised a lot, an awful lot of money for MASI. The movement of Massage Seekers in Ireland continues to if you want to get it from his band camp. As noted last week, once again, another thank you to our Patreons who helped us donate to that cause as well we match the figure on our end as well there's a new tabby rex single out now as of this podcast now, dropping. as of now and, yeah yeah and if you haven't heard last week's episode go and check it out I, I would highly encourage you to do so on this episode i mean the conversation like in terms of the theme of the world that is right now will definitely continue in our album review as we look at run the jewels four which we've had for sure a little bit extra time to spend with because it dropped in the middle of last week so we'll, we'll, we'll finally get our thoughts down on that one i'm very much looking forward to that chat and sadly, it would have been it would have been a great week this week. It would have been Euro twenty twenty. Nothing like a you know giant corporate football event that spans the European continent to make you feel good about things. But we can't have it this year, Craig. Can we? Can we? No, What's we can't happening? have nice things because of the COVID. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all we're getting football wise is <laughs> the football coming back uh, just in time for Liverpool to win the Premier League. And as United fans, that is no great thing. But yeah, no Euros. I wasn't sure how I felt about the kind of um, multiple cities, multiple countries format, um, but I would definitely have taken it. <laughs> um, but yeah, alas, it will happen next year, I guess. But this week we are doing top five most bizarre football songs uh, for the kind of strange and uncertain times we're living in right now. Um, we'd like years back it's actually years back now we'd talked our top five we talked like the worst ones this is the kind of more out there kind of suggestions and uh, tracks you mightn't have heard of Um, I was on a real <laughs> voyage of discovery this week Dave I've got to say so was I yeah and also uh, about Euro 2020 they're, like, so they're doing it next year right much like yeah. things that are that are moved around but they're calling it Euro 2020 next year which is going to be particularly confusing but hang on a second do you want to do you want to break the listeners hearts about your own rescheduling for next year are we talking about primavera Mm -hmm. (laughs) i don't know if i can relive it okay right so um (laughs) 
Primavera will happen uh, next year. It's been rescheduled. The lineup has pretty much been held together miraculously. I guess bands don't have much else to do. So they're just like, yeah, sign us up for take two. And they've added some names. It's very exciting. It's happening next June. So I was like, hang on to the tickets. Good to go. Unfortunately, my friend has rescheduled his wedding for this year for the same weekend next year. (laughs) So literally my only plans for the next 12 months, for the next 12 months, fall on the same weekend. Oh my Um, God. So I'm kind of in that denial stage still. I'm kind of thinking, can I go for like two days and get a midnight like flight and arrive in Vienna where the wedding is happening just before the ceremony do like a Dave and Craig special where we turn up just as the bride's about to walk down the aisle do it um got my blessing I think I should do it um I think you should do it if you don't do it you're a coward and I'll never let you back on the show again also hang on I mean like you love a random enough summer stag party situation so this must be really tearing at the very recesses of your soul the conflict yeah, well, of this. The stag party is, uh, I'm not sure when that's going ahead. That would that happened, that was due to go ahead down in um, Kilkenny the weekend when Leo was like, all right, we're shutting up the country. It's like, it's it was just before Paddy's Day. So it was kind of like we were sent home from work and all the lads were like, yeah, we'll still make it happen, blah, blah, blah. Then we decided, uh, no, let's not go, which was great because I think some of the first cases popped up in Kilkenny that very weekend. So I would have been coming back riddled probably, um, which is not what you want from a stag. It, it's uh, definitely it's the last thing you want from a stag. Uh, it's the one thing you don't <laughs> want to happen. So before we press on with the show, I want to say thank you very much to people who have joined our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash noencore if you want to throw us the price of a pint or the price of a ticket to Primavera. I don't know. Craig, Craig needs it right now. So... <laughs> Okay, into the news, Craig, and the top story this week. Would you like to read out the headline that has been prepared for this running order? Yes, I would. Josh from the Stripes utterly destroys a vulnerable Dave. <laughs> <laughs> he was playing the long game. He did. He shivved you on Twitter. It was um, a fucking drive-by extraordinaire. So let's talk about it. Okay. Go on. A couple years ago, I, I am the vulnerable Dave in question. Uh, often, but in this case, particular. So a couple of years ago, right? Um, the Stripes, uh, Cavan Rock outfit that Craig would be quite acquainted with. He interviewed them a few times back in the hot press yeah. days. Many um, cover stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't well crazy at least one. If I so a couple of years ago, um, they announced their that they were hanging it up. You know, they gone as far as they could go. And real quick, Craig, if there's anyone listening who doesn't know what the stripes were, can you describe it in like one sentence? Give me the elevator pitch for the stripes. Um, popular beat combo. <laughs> That's all you need. <laughs> okay, fine, that'll do. Um, so they broke up a couple of years ago, and. I wrote an article for Joe that was um, a bit scathing, you could say, a bit mean-spirited, um, an obituary, uh, very much a takedown, you, you could add. Now, uh, for context, I just want to state, and this isn't me saying, you know, I was just following orders or anything, but I was asked to do it. It wasn't my idea, but I did go in. I went in two-footed, you know, appropriate for our top five this week. It was definitely a professional fail on my behalf, and... Went out to the world. The headline was something like uh, "Farewell to the Stripes, the band that never quite was" or something. Um, I got like two yeah. weeks of hate mail. Um, you know, like there's elements to it that I would maybe look at again. Mainly from their parents, right? Or was that a different review? When you destroyed no, yeah, that was, their, I gave their debut, <laughs> destroyed their debut album. I gave their debut album a kick in for Drowning Sound back in 2013, and one of their mams got in the comments and gave out about me, which is very rock and roll. Well, in fairness, they were were about 16 at the time. <laughs> like you're on a major label, 
mate. You're, as far as I'm concerned, you're cannon fodder. Um, so this Joe article I wrote two years ago ended with the following uh, an ending, <laughs> conclusion. I said this. Please tell me you have this memorized and you're not just reading it off. I'll let the listener decide. Abiding misgivings aside, I wish them well, particularly Josh McClory, who I get the sense has an adventurous ear, and I'm curious to see where that will take him. So, on Wednesday of this week, I went onto social media, Craig, Twitter, everyone's favourite platform in the world, and I put up a tweet, and the tweet basically said, due to circumstances beyond my control, I'm looking for work. If anyone's looking for a journalist slash writer slash broadcaster with 10 years of experience, here's where you can get me, yada, yada, yada. Smash cut to about four hours later. Um, some good reception, by the way. People saying nice things. You know, lots of retweets. That's good. Hopefully it leads something. Well, yeah. I guess, I guess we'll find out. But um, It will definitely lead something. Four hours later, You're Josh... a terrific writer, Dave. <laughs> Josh McClory of The Stripes, <laughs> who did not follow me on Twitter, responded and said, I wish you well, Dave. I get the sense that you have an adventurous eye, and I'm curious to see where that will take you. And I, I stood there in my room, man, and I froze on the spot because I was like... Oh fuck. Oh fuck. He's just fucking destroyed me and there's nothing I can do about it. Nothing. You know what? I'd I'd been kind of wondering what he's been up to creatively since the stripes broke up and it turns out he was crafting that for <laughs> just waiting for a moment. A, a lot very, of work went into that. A very Fair very play. patient man. Yeah. And listen, like my my first reaction was just like jaw on the floor and I was like, "Listen, no like no when you're beaten, you know? Take the L." So I wrote back and I said, yeah, I had that one coming in fairness. He came back and said, oh, love, man, best of luck with it. I do really like your stuff, just not that article. And then, Craig, you know what happened after that? We followed each other on Twitter. We're best friends now. Peace in our time. <laughs> like, and then, like, minutes later, Gavin James, who I've slagged off relentlessly for the last two weeks, quoted my, like, uh, yeah. employment I feel like he's not a listener. And was like, <laughs> spread the word, folks. And I'm just like, what's happening? <laughs> like, what the fuck's going on? I mean, one thing, you know, Irish Twitter is quite good at that kind of stuff as much as we give out about it. So, yeah, um, fair play to Big Gav. And he's helping out. He's he's helping out employment right across the country, as we've discussed. Um, so it's kind of par for the course with, with Gavin James. Um, yeah, fair play to him. We're all learning lessons. And listen, Josh McClory's good people. The feud is over. Uh, welcome they're on the show. They're all good people in Welcome fairness. on the show anytime, mate. <laughs> what about the rest of the band? Uh, no, just Josh. Uh, like. <laughs> 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 oh man okay uh, so Actually, before we get yeah, into news no, on, before on, we get into news this is something news, just right? this struck is me news, there when I <laughs> Sorry, <go on. laughs> something just struck me as I fired up the L Skype right so um, we were talking about how amazing Merley and Max Anger were in conversation last week uh, it was a privilege chatting to the guys we did those chats on Zoom and it struck me that we've talked about it on the show previously I think I had an account set up where I had a joke name which was Midnight Fist 69. Mm-hmm. Was I on those interviews with that name? Can you remember? Because this will haunt me. I don't <laughs> recall noticing it. And I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ, fair play to the lads for like not saying Ignoring it. Ignoring it, if so. I don't think I did. But you've well, said before, though, that like that's a name that you stand by because it's it's frivolous and it's, you know, it's discerning. I have not, I've not stood by it. I've explained it. <laughs> <laughs> I have apologised for it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I changed it, but I just had that moment of like, oh God, did I arrive into this proper conversation with just like, Midnight Fizz 69 has entered the chat. We'll never know. Maybe the, new, we'll the, new, the new Tabby Rex song is, is literally about getting your hole. So that's the name of the song. So I, I'm sure 
that Max understands. Well, <laughs> we have an update from our Sonic Architect, um, just through there in the Skype. I was not named Midnight Fist 69, and Adam was disappointed. He was waiting for me to arrive as that. So, so what you've done here, Craig, is you buried yourself for no reason whatsoever. Do you want us to remove this audio, or are you going to keep it in? Warts and all, man. It's okay, no fine. Well, something that is used. getting removed is the Urban Tag. Republic Records is just one of several record labels around the world, which has come forward this week and said, you know what, we need to get rid of that one. It's a bit old hat, isn't it? Um, essentially, Urban has been used as a bit of a shorthand, whether it's on playlists, on radio stations and record labels and publications, etc., to basically just say black, right? I mean, like th- th- that's kind of what yeah, it's been. It's, also, for... it's not really tied to genre. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, it just becomes black, I guess. Um, Republic Records are the subsidiary of Universal. So, like, their roster includes everyone from Taylor Swift to Drake, uh, Post Malone, uh, Nicki Minaj, Lil Wayne. Um, so, huge, huge array of acts. Um, it's a big move from them um, and definitely the right one. Like, I think this is a discussion that was had in the music industry years back at this point about, like, world music and how it was slightly derogatory or it was definitely pigeonholing um, music and doing that kind of othering thing. Um, and I think that's definitely the case with urban because it just seems to have a lot of connotations, right? Oh, of course, yeah, like street or something, you know, like which I've yeah, also yeah. seen kind of milling around, and it's that kind of like shoulder shrug, like I don't know, fucking urban, like like it's it's very it's, outdated, like even before yeah, the current the article. The article does point out the the origins of it, which I didn't know. Uh, apparently, it was a black New York DJ, uh, Frankie uh, Crocker, who coined urban contemporary. Uh, in the 1970s um so it wasn't considered offensive at the time um but obviously it kind of took on connotations and of course we can't live by wasn't offensive in the 70s anymore can we dave (laughs) (laughs) well i don't know i mean it depends if it's the music of the stripes well then perhaps uh the grammys meanwhile have followed suit yeah they're doing the same thing uh they're they're changing a bunch of stuff but in there the one that still has a lot of people this week is the best urban contemporary album will now be called the best progressive R&B album, a move intended to, quote, describe the merit of characteristics of music compositions or performances themselves. Um, so there's a few of them, like like Latin rock, urban or alternative album. Urban's gone from that. Uh, but hold on, they, they've, they've renamed, <laughs> it reads here that they've renamed Latin pop as Latin pop and, and urban. urban. Yeah, which is strange. So they're just kind of shifting stuff around. That's very odd. Progressive R&B album strikes me as, so they must just have an R&B category. I'm not au fait with all of the Grammy categories. I know they get into like liner notes and all yeah, that Yeah, it sounds, it's, um, on paper it sounds almost condescending, but then the, the explanation for it is that it, it contains the progressive elements of rhythm and blues, which may include samples and elements of hip-hop, rap, dance, and electronic music, as well as production elements found in pop, Europop, country, rock, folk, and alternative. So it sounds like it's, you know, like maybe it could have been called most innovative R&B album or something. Um, but the, Gram- like the Grammys yeah. are a fucking nightmare, like of categorizations. And there's like 80 awards. Like it's an insane, like Grammys event. in general are a nightmare. Yeah. Really are. I've um, never watched it like yeah. start to finish. And I never will. No, I get <laughs> so. clips. I don't know. It's... Uh, but no, it's good. Like it's good stuff. I mean, like like these are like like I think you know again like stemming from last week's conversation. Like we were asked directly, like what have we seen in our time as music journalists? And like we worked for Hot Press at the start of the decade, kind of into the mid decade. And I mean, like while there wasn't stuff that was insanely egregious, well, I mean maybe there was. I don't know. But I mean, like we we're definitely guilty of like you know like making stupid errors. Like like I, I've definitely like written down on a news story 
female singer songwriter like i would have definitely done that when i was first yeah. you know yeah. like becoming a music journalist and then like, i didn't cop what i was saying and it's like oh shit yeah that's totally wrong I've, I've definitely done that as well and a lot of the time it comes down to you're like you're writing a lot of copy you're turning stuff out and you're like it, it, can, it can be laziness it can be i'm looking for just another descriptor so i'm not repetitive in what i'm saying yeah, there's a mechanical like, the nature thoughts to that are going it. through yeah, that are going through your mind rather than actually stepping back and thinking what it means in terms of how you're categorizing people. But yeah, I think it comes down to like well-meaning ignorance back the, back in the day and kind of maybe just a bit of laziness and we need to kind of focus a bit more on those things because they matter. Yeah, and I would have, I, I, again, I would have used the word songstress, you know, like shit like that. But again, like it, it's until like you see it called out and you see someone turn around and say, actually, that's bollocks and here's why. If you yeah. are then confronted with that and you're like, oh yeah, shit, sorry, I didn't realize that's what it should be, right? It should be like education through the experiences of another person and seeing something kind of crop up where previously you were just ignorant. I mean, like there's definitely examples, there's more innocent examples of that. Like me using the word gushing, you know, he gushed and I'm like th- thinking it just meant he said, and I'm like, oh no, no, it actually means like a really like hyperbolic, enthusiastic, flowery thing. Um, Even, um, was it James Blake who called out using sad boy because it had yeah, connotations yeah, yeah, about yeah, like exactly. mocking depression and like I would have used sad boy indie or whatever plenty of times because I would consider myself a sad boy. But actually when you think about it, it is kind of uh, derogatory. Yeah, I think I, I, the point I'm trying to make here is that I've, I've evolved as a writer over the past 10 years. I've gotten a lot better. Hire me. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Give Dave a job. Give, Give me kudos. We're terrific people. Well-rounded. <laughs> 2020 has been a great year for us. Um, no. Um, last week we were talking um, top five album closers. Um, my number one was probably predictably Kanye West's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, um, which I'd been listening to a lot um, that week. Uh, it was kind of chiming with the times. I said kind of, it wasn't flippant. It was actually kind of quite sadly, like maybe we don't need to hear from Kanye at this moment. Um, I immediately stood corrected because he made a massive um, two million donation um, to Black Lives Matter cause, uh, set up a college fund for um, George Lloyd's daughter, um, joined protests in Chicago and probably crucially didn't say that much. So it was a it was a good kind of heartening um, bit of news for Kanye fans. Heartening news for Kanye West fan number one, Kanye West is that he, he's the highest paid musician of uh, 2020, according to Forbes, Dave. Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's a hell of a time for this to drop, isn't it? You know, hey, the world's yeah, going down. Seems really Capitalism <laughs> is, is, is... Pointless. People are rejecting it in all its forms, and uprising is a genuine thing. And now, the richest musicians and celebrities in the world. It's like fucking hell for us. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's kind of what Forbes do. Yeah, Although, true. did you see recently, is it Kylie or Kendall that um, they were claiming was the world's youngest billionaire? I think it's Kylie, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, they were, so they they had her as, and it turned out that they were the the generals were kind of maybe fixing the numbers, not in a, like an illegal way, but in a kind of like boasting that we've more money than we do way. And Forbes said, "Oh, actually, she's not a billionaire. We've been lied to." So I don't know if we can really trust uh, the legitimacy of Forbes going forward. Kendall was um, this week singled out for like some kind of Photoshop Black Lives Matter uh, sign. Oh, of course, she to- was. But also, sorry, did you see? And this was 
I fucking yeah, go on. Yeah, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Remember that Pepsi ad? The Pepsi ad the Pepsi being ad recreated in which, in which a real Jenner, protest. Yeah, in which Kendall Jenner walks up to a couple of policemen and hands them a fresh Pepsi and it, like, solves all the problems. Someone at a real protest fucking did it and it's the greatest yeah. shot I have Some, seen. Yeah. It is astounding. Sometimes, you know, <laughs> mankind can make you despair, but mankind can also just give you a fucking renewed purpose well done that was great oh, it was the greatest it's the greatest thing i've ever seen i love it yeah so I, i'm gonna give you um so this is obviously compiled from an overall list of celebrities but the musicians works out as follows so i'll give you i'll give you 15 to 1 like that old channel 4 show yeah that game show oh nice which has a fucking boss theme tune by the way so um number 15 is drake then you got bts the boy band sensation billy eilish at 13 jay-z at 12 sean mendez at 11 into number 10 it's marshmallow the dj who wears that stupid helmet thing rolling stone Jones at nine, Post Malone at eight, Taylor Swift at seven, Ed Sheeran number six. Top five now, Chainsmokers, Jonas Brothers, and now you're into your top three. And in terms of figures, Ariana Grande, number three, $72 million. Elton John, number two, $81 million. And Kanye West with $170 million. <laughs> like, number one. What the fuck? I, well, it's got to be Yeezys, right? Because he's not really doing much musically uh, well, that would make him any money anyway. He's not. He's happening? not... Tur- was he really bankrupt? I don't know. Can't figure him out. Like this, th- th- these lists become kind of ridiculous when you take in like their other earnings because you couldn't say that's like what he's earned from being a musician. Like the Elton John, I think Elton John's been on like a retirement jaunt, right? So that's clearly where that money's coming from. But it's so meaningless, particularly when they're like, they also include groups. Then you obviously have to split up that amount. So it's not like they're a single entity. Basically, yeah. I'm saying Forbes... You're irrelevant. <laughs> I hope that we can continue to refer to Elton John as the Elton John from now on, by the way. The Nine Inch Nails, <laughs> the Elton John. Uh, I think, you know, it's been a fairly hyperactive start to the, to the podcast. I don't know how you're feeling. I think we need to take it down a notch. So, in exciting news this week, uh, long overdue, I would say, Stained have commenced work on their first new music in nearly a decade. What do you think, man? Dave, I think I speak for everyone when I say... It's been a while! All right. (laughs) Manchester and Liverpool mayors, meanwhile, will face off in a DJ battle. What's happening here, man? Yeah, it's for charity. So grand, I suppose. Um, Andy Burnham, who's the Manchester mayor, is going to battle um, Steve Rotherham um, on June 13th. Um, They're going to be streaming it on United We Stream. All proceeds are going to funding community groups that have been affected by coronavirus and the shutdown. Um, They've been indulging in a bit of uh, trash talking already. So Rodrum's been hailing Liverpool's global status as the home of the Beatles. Fair enough. Um, he says his DJ set is going to cement Liverpool's place as the centre of the known musical universe. But Burnham's hit back. Let's face it, if we had excluded music from the 1960s, there would be no contest. Who would you favour, Dave, in this competition? Manchester, as a fan of Manchester of United Football Club. That's pretty much all the knowledge I can bring to this section. And also, Manchester music was way better, right? Okay, first of all, you don't like the Beatles, so... Yeah, that's correct. Immediately, you're on Manchester's side. <laughs> Second of all, outside the Beatles with Liverpool, you're kind of into... The like, Zootons? Echo and the Bunnymen. Are they? Yeah, the Laz. Um, a kind of psychedelic who, stuff. Who else are there? I'm, I'm going to Google this. I'm going to Google famous bands from Liverpool. You keep talking there. Okay, so yeah, Echo and the Bunny Men would probably be my favourites. I always thought the Laz were extremely overrated um, with that debut album that they released and then Lee Marvers was like, no, they we recorded it all wrong. I need to get like a vintage sound and he just like never released anything ever again. 
Okay, I've got a whole Manchester- bunch here, yeah. according to Wikipedia, right, cool. which presumably is definitely true and not false. Uh, okay, so we've got uh, the Beatles. We got Jerry and the Pacemakers. Okay. Frankie goes to Hollywood. Oh, Frankie. Okay. Yeah. Heidi <laughs> Range song. from Heidi Two Range songs. from the Sugar Babes. Scylla Black, Atomic Kitten, the Wombats. The- they're from Liverpool. <laughs> Cast the Lightning Seeds. The Teardrop Explodes. A flock of seagulls. Oh, Flock of Seagulls. Okay, that's a shout. Teardrop Explodes is a great, great band. Um, but yeah, I mean, Manchester, like, we're still allowed. Like, Smiths, for the moment, um, at least Johnny Marr, uh, New Order. It's got to be Manchester. Stone Roses. I don't know. Happy Mondays. The, the Happy Mondays are a terrible band. Like, I'm not here for this. Oasis are from Manchester, no, Happy of Mondays Who have some cracking tunes. Road for Luck is one of the best songs Simply Red, of that period. Manchester, take that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god Barlow <laughs> yeah I forgot Barlow I've got more man that Everything feels... Everything The Chemical Brothers yeah Manche- I mean Manchester you could almost have the argument that Manchester is a better musical city than London like Manchester's there right there with New York I think okay Liverpool is miles behind I'm sure there's um, a, but I'm sure there's a very it'll specific it'll be settled on June that. 13th not by us, it won't. Uh, so for the final news story of the section, I've seen the headline and I've chosen not to dive into it myself because I, I guess I want to have a genuine reaction to this one. So you can, the listener will know in seconds why. Yeah, so it turns out that Corey Taylor um, has terrible taste. Um, Corey Taylor, Slipknot and Stone Sour um, fame. He's contributing to um, an upcoming book called Nothing But A Good Time. Uh, it's about the hard rock scene of the 1980s in, in America. That was very partridge. In America. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> apparently the foreword is impassioned and it's from an avowed glam metal fanatic. Did you yeah. know this? Yeah, and that's, that sounds Corey Taylor's massively into There's... just the worst bands on earth, right? Okay. Van Halen, <laughs> okay, Motley Crue, Poison, Skid Row, and Guns N' Roses. We're yeah. kind of just dragging ourselves out of that mire, but... I would have expected the man to have finer taste. I mean, like, we don't know that he, it doesn't go beyond that, but I will say, like, I've had this conflict with Corey Taylor for quite some time. Obviously, I'm a huge Slipknot fan. They're one of my favourite bands out there, and I think he's an amazing frontman. Uh, iconic, you might say, but essentially, fucking... There's been two Corey Taylors for a while now. Um, he got into this kind of, you know, like, celebrity kind of thing. Like, he put, he's played these terrible, terrible books, and um, I'm actually shocked he doesn't have a fucking podcast that is vaguely on the spectrum of right wing i'm sure he's not I'm, I'm, oh really well no oh, okay no, i wasn't aware of that's any not of fair i mean I, I think he's definitely anti-trump but like he, it's just that he reminds me a lot of, chris, of he reminds me a lot of, of yeah but he reminds, he reminds me a lot of chris jericho and he's been on chris jericho's podcast but like he just has this kind of brash bollocks thing to him i mean he's still fucking awesome and like you know i i obviously i, I got a, i got to interview jim root from slipknot in january yeah Corey was there he got into the irish times that was fine you know like he's a quote machine like he says things it is what it is but it's not surprising because he's always been on this drum he's always been kind of like you know like he loves rock and metal bands from from back in the day yeah like this isn't this isn't too shocking to me like like he's clearly informed by it they were like slipknot are fucking you know they're from iowa they came of age in the mid to late 90s he's hardly gonna be fucking inspired by what was on the fucking contemporary radio like i mean it makes sense yeah Leave Corey Taylor alone, if you're, if, Craig. <laughs> if you're in Iowa around that time, pre-internet, 
like you're kind of lucky to get your hands on any slightly subversive music whatsoever. So I guess, yeah, if he's just exposed to all this stuff as a teenager, of course, he's going to have like fond memories. It should be noted, actually. Really, it like, should be noted, actually. Fond memories like of the Girls, Girls, Girls video. <laughs> it's to the extent of, you're going to write a forward about an entire a, book. It's kind of Italian. Like, you know, I mentioned Jim Ruth there, the interview I did with him where... I asked yeah. him, he said that when they were, when they were over doing signings, like record signings in the UK, that afterwards when yeah. like the shop was closed and I love the image of this, them all dressed up in their gear, the record shop owners were like, you know, oh, you guys can like have a browse through the racks there and take whatever you want. And Jim Root like got into Britpop that way. Like he took home a bunch of vinyl of Britpop stuff. Presumably Corey Taylor was down in the fucking Sebastian Bach section. I don't know, you know. I love, I love, um, kind of, I love like very American musicians getting into Britpop. Do you remember Lars Ulrich got hugely into Oasis? He was like their number one fan. I think he started <laughs> following around Liam and Noel just like on all their tours. You just see him in the backs of photos and they're kind of looking sheepishly like, who's this small tennis player? Um, but yeah, fair play. If Lars Ulrich joined Oasis and brought his St. Anger snare with him, I would fucking, I would <laughs> oh love that, man. I would be all about that. I'd be like, bring it the fuck on. Re-record What's the Story Morning Glory with that wonderful metallic... Yeah, <laughs> well, Oasis like famously got rid of their original drummer because Noel didn't think he was up to the task of like um, knocking out the incredibly intrinsic drum patterns on fucking What's the Story Morning Glory. So I wonder, was Lars any better? Probably. Probably. Just. Well, you know, some bands age gracefully, some don't age well at all, and some come along and come back just at the right time. We are, of course, referring to the first new Run the Jewels dispatch in four years. Sounds a bit like this. You still owe me, but I'm nice. You do not get to just die. You try to fuck with my brother, you get the bastard surprise. And that's more honest than your whole life but a fraction of time. I didn't get my degree on how to smoke weed till I'm blind. So you can ruin my heart. You run a do and you buy. My brother made a point, so after back door, I'm a slide. A chubby husky thigh scrubbing, fucking up my Levi's. So crooked copper got the drop, I put lead in his eye. Plus we heard he murdered a black child, so none of us cried. Yankee and the brave here. Everybody hit the deck. The song is Yankee and the Brave. The album is RTJ4. Craig, do your thing. So Run the Jewels um, are a 10-year coming together of New York rapper-producer um, El Producto uh, LP and Atlanta artist Killer Mike. Um, so I guess these guys prior to Run the Jewels were uh, very well-respected figures in their respective scenes. Um, you know, hip-hop heads in the know would adore these fellas. LP had a big pre- presence in kind of alternative hip hop for years, uh, but it was the producer and kind of spitting stuff. Killer Mike got his start, I think, on Stankonia. So he's almost like a semi-legendary figure already in the Atlanta scene. Um, I mean, you could call Run the Jewels a super group, but I think really actually the spotlight only, you know, mainstream-wise came sharply on them as a pairing. It definitely elevated them anyway. Um and they've now released four albums together, um, not including, what was it, Meow the Jewels? Do you remember that remix album where all the instruments were cats? Uh, that was in their kind of meme Adult Swim days. Um, but yeah, um, the, you know, I think uh, the, the latest New York Times profile piece on them says they're kind of rewriting rap's rule book and they're kind of game changing. Um, if they haven't changed the game for everyone, they've definitely kind of subverted it for themselves because at the moment they're couple of middle-aged guys who are round about their peak, uh, the peak of their kind of critical powers, uh, the peak of their kind of commercial success. I think this album has charted um, 
it's the highest placing album I think they've had in the US. Um, and, you know, the piece says they've really flipped things in terms of how this lighthearted side project has now become the high stakes, um, you know, work of their lives. Uh, it seems to me, I think to us, that it that was kind of sitting heavily on them maybe with um, the third record, slightly bloated by their standards. I didn't think their voices were really coalescing and it kind of was released in that weird limbo period, I think, when Trump got elected and then before he was inaugurated. I think we were all just worn out with politics. They seemed a bit worn out. I felt at the time, like, maybe we'll just settle for a trilogy. Um, But it seems like the Trump administration uh, has lit a real fire under them. They've arrived at a a kind of a crucial time. They've released the album slightly early because they just felt it needed to soundtrack people's lives right now. Um, I think it was the right move. What do you think, Dave? Well, it's interesting that you kind of make that point about... Set, almost accepting a trilogy and being like, this was this was a good run. I'm happy to bet yeah. it now. And then a fourth one comes along and you're like, okay, cool. Well, obviously I'm in anyway, even though I had some misgivings about the third one. Because when you started saying those words, all I could think was John Wick, the John Wick franchise and how Keanu Reeves uh, came, you know, he's having his career renaissance himself. You know I mean? Obviously we knew Keanu Reeves in different guises and forms. And then, he became a bit of a joke and whatever. And then all of a sudden, like he puts out this action movie in about 2014, low budget enough, but graced with tons and tons of style, not taking himself too seriously while also containing tons and tons of skillful flourishes. And it struck a chord with people and people were like, what the fuck is this? This is different. This is cool. This is amazing. I want more. And then you get more Mm. with the second one and then you get more with the third one. And by that kind of, you know, the formula starts to show uh, the tricks are kind of like still impressive, but you've seen them, you've heard them, you've felt it. Maybe you're kind of running out of gas. And then, you know, you're like, oh shit, they're not ending it now. We're going to get more of this. I mean, I'm still on board, but will I care as much? And that's where we're kind of looking at for the next John Wick film. And with Run the Jewels, yeah, when the third one came out, I think you and I were like, this is certainly enjoyable and it's got some great moments on it, but there was the sense that they were an act kind of looking down the barrel of maybe being a spent force to a degree. This record comes along at a time where, you know, it almost feels purpose fucking built, both in terms of the lyrical content, which make direct, not not just allusions, but direct explicit references to the murder of black men by police in America. Mm. Um, very familiar quotes are in there, very familiar terminology that have now come to represent something even greater and bigger and, um, you know, like stuff for the history books, really, that are being written at the moment. Killer Mike and LP feel like the kind of guys to kind of be standing at the front of a protest with a megaphone in hand. And when that album arrived when it did it arrived at this apex moment i thought where you know you're starting to see the kind of the sense of real change the potential of uh, of struggle and what it can like what it can do and how and the positive effect it can have but it was also coming around this time of pure chaos and carnage and violence and it felt that every time you open social media all you saw was violence all you saw was clips of people on streets getting beaten down by other people, whether it was police or otherwise. And then somewhere in the middle at like five o'clock on a Wednesday, Run the Jewels 4 comes along with its absolutely beautiful artwork, which reminds you of like Blade Runner 2049 or something. It continues their imagery that they've had on all the albums today, but it just has this kind of futuristic vibe to it. Like it's Mm. gorgeous colors. And there was the sense of something big and something real here. The sense of like, oh my God, like this is almost like, you know, a marathon runner crossing the finish line and being given this fucking elixir, you know, but not in in terms of something kind of 
you know, so recreational, but more something aspirational and something so powerful as as what is, as what is happening in the world right now. So I wonder, like, can this album, you know, like, w- are we going to need a cool down period with this record? Are we going to need to like look at it in six months and be like, okay, cool, now I can think about it less as a social construct? Because of course, this has obviously been written and recorded months ago. Um, yeah, but here it comes now because you mentioned as well that profile piece, which used language about them which makes them sound so totemic do you agree with that does this record reflect that and on a basic level is it a return to form can it stand on its own there's so much hovering over this record that before you even get into it it's kind of hard to unpack yeah very much so um i think they are kind of totemic, uh, iconic, even aside from the music, just what they represent. Um, you know, they're from totally different parts of that country. Um, black guy, white guy, gel really well, great chemistry, everything that's great about kind of hip hop from its more kind of conscious side. So you're rooting from for them immediately. Um, and I think, you know, as you say, Dave, this was all done and dusted long before the, the current kind of eruption. Um, and I think if you hone in on the craftsmanship and that chemistry again, it does feel like they've, you know, reass- they've looked at that partnership, they're reasserting things. Uh, they feel a bit rejuvenated just in terms of that chemistry to me. Like that opener there, it's like where they're kind of playfully casting themselves as like Yankee and the Brave. Again, just kind of referencing their um, their their hometowns like um, sports teams when they're doing that. It's kind of like not a buddy cop thing, but like a buddy rap TV series um, where... They feel like they're, you know, last gang in town, Bush Cassidy and Sundance Kid, um, all guns blazing. Um, and I think that's that's a really invigorating start. I think they've tightened things up. Like LP's talked about this being like a streamlined um, little jet fighter, um, and it totally is. Um, it's slightly shorter. It's back to the kind of the brevity they had previously. And yeah, I think... You know, a lot of the lines do seem prescient, as you say. Um, you know, lines like "I can't breathe." It's to me, it's it's not really. A lot of people are saying it's kind of almost eerie. It's not eerie because it's 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 this endless thing. They have so many awful moments to pick from, and of course, that references to Eric Garner from a few years ago. Um, they keep kind of releasing stuff around these awful milestones, but there, as I say, there's so many of them in America. You can kind of take your pick. Um, I remember when George Zimmerman was getting acquitted, there was, you know, they, they came out around then, um, obviously the Trump stuff, this feels like a definite renewal of their rage. And I think people are ready to meet their kind of righteous anger right now. And the quality is definitely there for me. Um, whether they cross over even more, I don't know. Like they feel like they're exceptional in their field. Um, but I can't really see them smashing down too many musical boundaries. Do you know what I mean? They're critical darlings. People that really love hip-hop and music in general um, will always check them out. Uh, I very much like this record, and I would say to people that like the previous stuff, you know, seriously, you need to check this out. It's right up there with the best work. I don't know if I'd be saying to people, if you've never heard Run the Jewels, you need to get on this right now. I think that's a slight distinction in terms of where they're at. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've very much enjoyed the opportunity to go back to all the Run the Jewels songs and the entire catalogue with this kind of fresh focus. It feels like, you know, interlocking parts now. And I did that. Like, like I, I think it was yesterday, I, I listened to all four back to back. 
And ultimately, if I was going to do like a series ranking, like I would like to fucking go on, possibly or something. Yeah. Okay. Well, for me, I, in terms of, you know, preference, it's a case of two, one, four, three, I think. But one and two to me are kind of interchangeable. I think they're two fucking phenomenal records. Third one I wasn't crazy about, but it has some fantastic moments. And going back to it, there are times when I'm like, why don't I like this as much as I do? I think it is just the bloat and the sense of formula which we'll talk about in a second but this is a, this is a very very good record it's really fucking strong very yeah. enjoyable See, I, instantly accessible powerful moves fast like hits you in the face yeah i feel like i'm going two four one three i feel like this one is the one i'm going to maybe live with the most i don't know if that speaks at the moment but it does like the flow is great you mentioned like john wick i was thinking that true detective scene where uh, Matthew McConaughey, where Rust is like crash and it's just one long shot throughout this total madness. And it feels like they're constantly moving through this kind of horror scape, but they're kind of keeping you compelled and they're, uh, you know, getting their bars off. Um, I was kind of totally locked in every time I've gone to listen to it. You know, some weeks when you're doing this every week, some weeks it's like, okay, I need to listen to it again. need to get through it all again. Once I was a track or two in, I was like, yeah, I'm in this for the long haul. I can play this the whole way through. It's not to say there isn't tracks I don't quite dig, but it moves swiftly, keeps you on your toes. I think the bookends are really good. I think that, as I say, the fake TV show construct thing works quite nicely. Um, Like, I love that LP thing of like, you know, you still owe me for them Nikes. Uh, You do not just get to die, which is cool. And then when the outro returns, it does feel a sense of, I've seen some people saying it's kind of a bit anticlimactic. He uses that like in excess sample and it never quite, like it never truly erupts. It kind of floats off with this really kind of great sax. But I think that is, there is a sense of like the story continues and, you know, this isn't a series that's going to be cancelled anytime soon. Uh, the stuff they're talking about is sadly probably going to continue, but it's heartening that they're there to speak about it. And this is the album that makes me believe there can easily be a five, six and seven because I didn't see those happening. And it makes me think that three was like, you know, the two of them have talked about being in almost like a musical marriage, right? Like they're, they refer to each other as their kind of wives. I wonder was three like they're kind of seven year itch. Do you know what I mean? They've just got over the hump and they're in it for the long stretch now because it works so well together. I think Mike is on top, top form. Some of his bars are exceptional. Um, like he, you know, he will kind of outclass LP a lot of the time. Um, but LP is no slouch. It's just that I think uh, Mike will always have a kind of internal logic where he'll resolve even the outlandish things he's saying with some really nice piece of wisdom where LP can just shoot off bars, um, for shock value sometimes. But then LP is doing such an incredible job on production as well, right? Like he's he's dabbling in lots of different stuff. There's like gnarly, almost like desert rock on pulling the pin. Um, just as an incredible track where he's basically doing like the Neptunes, even down to the kind of four beat intro and does it with a plum. All the samples are kind of referencing 90s hip hop greats, but it doesn't feel like they're kind of bowing down to them. Um, they're kind of becoming part of that lineage. There's a nice bit of scuzz in there, keeps you on your toes, as I say. And yeah, I think they're, they're the vibe, the vibe between them is like right back. I would say yeah, so, yeah. Big it time. works for me. Well, works, I mean, like, the thing is, like, I mean, like, to, to throw in, like, another kind of a pop culture comparison, like, they're a wrestling fucking tag team, you know? I mean, that's what they are. And, like, a good wrestling tag team should have 
the ability to have two individuals of individual characteristics, but also when they come together, you know, they, they have all these double team moves and they've got these flourishes and they've got these signatures and they've got an image and they've got an aesthetic and they've got an, an identity and a message and a meaning and all those things. And like, that's why I think I would agree with you when you describe them as iconic, like they genuinely are. And they've worked at it, you know, like it's taken about seven years for it to maybe get this level of mainstream appeal to a degree. And again, the moment is absolutely impacting that. The last track that you mentioned, by the way, which is my favorite one on the record is a few words for the firing squad that is definitely an in excess uh, sample is it because i was like i thought i was being real like you know proper like yeah it's, it's never it. I, I didn't actually, does. <laughs> because i looked up genius and it's not there i didn't actually double check but it's never tears apart right so it's just it's just like the, the last time i checked the credits I assume. maybe it's been updated but like, i just saw like it just said a viola by this person and i was like that viola sound is straight out of never tears apart which is by the way an amazing song <laughs> just so saying. good and i was like my and, god what, what, like what a place to pull from it's a really it's an and also the thing heartbreaking is, song as well like this this one is yeah and, few words and with the, with the original if it is a sample like there is that proper payoff you know eruption and incredible vocal so that was kind of teasing me even more where it never quite happened which you expect of like Run the Jewels you expect this is going to become totally anthemic and the fact it doesn't there's like it's a real exercise in restraint I think it's a great kind of way to go out it kind of stops and makes you think they even kind of break the fort wall a little bit and like they're they step back from the kind of more social political stuff and just reflect on where they're at and what Run the Jewels means to them and um, LP's talking about how he used to want to um, appear like have the opportunity to appear smart like how dumb was that which is just like such a sorry kind of comment on the state of the world where idiots seem to be in charge um, there's loads of those kind of moments that are just great um, so yeah I, I, if it feels like it's a total opening for more well, that last song to me it definitely it it doesn't it doesn't signal end credits. The last song is end credits. Like when it starts up, you might as well see like you know written and directed by Killer Mike and LP because it's it's that thing of you know I remember when I went to see the Blaze live that time at Picnic a couple of years ago and their show ends with end credits and it ends with one of their songs playing over it and it just felt like that. It felt cinematic. It felt kind of you know, like like a message was being displayed to you while the song was playing out. There's more to it. There's all these layers to it as well. What did you make of the guests on this record? Because there's quite a few of them. You've got Gangsta Boo, you've got Mavis Staples, you've got Josh Homme, you've got Pharrell Williams, who sounds awake. You've got Zach De La Rocca, of course, back for his third run. Uh, yeah, like they always have guests. They always bring people to the party. Two but- chains as well, which is interesting. Um like getting him off a trap beat, which is, you know, I think he holds his own uh, if he's like, he feels a little superfluous. I definitely felt like, yeah, Pharrell kind of wakes up a bit, but I mean, I know it means a lot to those guys having him on a track, but I don't know if he adds that much or brings that much to the party. He's still a bit in Slumberville, uh, as is Pharrell. I thought way. it worked, though. I, I thought it was a nice counterpoint. It worked. That's on the song Just, which is another one of the standouts for me. Close with Zach De La Rocca verse, which, you know, I mean, that can be a bit of a crutch as well. Like, what I wanted to kind of make the point about Run the Jewels was, and like, you know, if I'm going to dig them at all, it would be on this. They definitely have a formula. Like, this was kind of, I think, like, the third album in particular started to show that, and it's still on display here. They have a formula, they have a template of what they do, you know, tag team, baton relay versus costume humor, social commentary, the, mm. the occasional guest, you know, like, you know what you're getting at this stage. I don't think that they are going to do anything terribly different. They don't necessarily have to do anything terribly different, but it is interesting to kind of just get into that groove and stay there. Um, I would agree as well that I think Killer Mike steals the record, uh, which again, LP more than makes up for it, makes up for it in terms of what he's doing elsewhere. 
But I don't know. I mean, like, 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 yeah. like, would you take 10 Run the Jewels albums? I mean, I wouldn't be against the concept of it. But, like, I just feel like at the moment as well, there's a level as well of goodwill to Run the Jewels, as there should be. And I wonder if, does that cause maybe people to kind of overrate this album slightly? I think it's really fucking good. I think it's really fucking really, really good. But I'm not hearing much new, you know? Like, it's it's kind of very tightened up, very kind of honed, really good Run the Jewels. But I don't have the same sense of electricity that I would have had on the first two records. I have a sense of electricity, again, because of what this album represents and when it landed. And they are seriously on form. It's a return to form. I don't mean to sound too negative here, but I don't think it's perfect. Or anywhere close. No, it's not perfect. I think Never Look Back never really achieves the lift off. It's a bit one note. Um, the Ground Below has a kind of Stone Cold Steve Austin um, team tune backing going on. Nothing wrong but there. I don't know if... <laughs> yeah. Which is, which is I think, one of the highlights, but it loses me a little. Yeah, like the run from, like, say, Holy Calamifuck to Just is sublime. And then it trails slightly before, I think, maybe Mavis St- Staples enters where... I think that's an LP hook, actually, which I think is something slightly different um, for them and just brings them back on track. But yeah, there's there's some moments that aren't that strong. They're definitely doing their formulaic thing, but they're kind of, when they're on that form, you forget about, about those misgivings and they kind of become irresistible. Like I do, I do you know, people say LP is kind of, he chimes in with the big ideas of the production. Killer Mike then supplies the details. It is that thing of like, you know, LP will keep... Um, the wisecracks going and people talking in the bank as Killer Mike cracks the vault and then, you know, LP has the getaway car, which is musical stuff. Um, I think it works for them. Like, when they pull it off, it's so, so good. I, You know, when you said, would I take 10 albums? Then I start thinking of it as, like, probably not in this guise. Um, Killer Mike wants them to be, like, the ACDC of hip-hop. He said that. He wants them to still be doing it when they've grey hair. Um I don't think we want that because, you know, ACDC became a bit of a caricature. And I think maybe he was accidentally getting at something in how they're a little boxed in. But obviously, they've way more to say. Uh, they say it so damn smoothly. So right now, I'll take all they've got. Um, I think, yeah, they've got they've got the moment on their side. They got me back on side. It's, it's an eight for me. It's an eight for me as well. Check it out. Or TJ4, definitely the album of the week without question. So... I guess it's about that time, man. I guess it's time for the top five bizarre football songs. Kind of, you're getting what's, you know, what's the Ron Seal quote? I'm really off this week, by the way. I'm so tired. Oh, God, I've said it. I haven't said I'm tired in so long. I fucking did it. Bollocks. I had a really good run, man. It does It does exactly Dallas. what it says. <laughs> on the tin. There you go. <laughs> Name on the trophy. Name on the trophy. Why don't you kick us off this week for, oh, no, hang on. I can't let you do that because I've just remembered. It's football, right? So we have to have 11. We have to have... 11 players on the pitch, yeah. So I guess for tone reasons, to give you an example of, you know, what this is, this is one that didn't make it for me, but should bring you into the realm of crazy, weird, oddity football stuff. So take it away, someone who competed on the X Factor about 10 years ago and didn't get very far. Hi, my name is Nikki Evans, and I just want to say, come on our boys, up the villa! Want to know 
Okay, okay, Adam, that's enough. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> Championes made it for me there. Where the villa, where the Championes. I believe that was for like a fucking FA Cup final or a League Cup final or something that they, of course, did not win about 10 years ago. And yeah, just utterly wretched. It's, it's a weird realm, right? Because I mean, like football songs, you don't necessarily come here for quality. Uh, where do you stand on the <laughs> on the Three Lions versus World in Motion debate, Craig? Two really good songs. Yeah, I've settled in my mind. I love them both. They're they're really good songs. Um, I've settled in my mind that Three Lions is the greatest football song of all time. And World Emotion is the greatest song about football. <laughs> if that makes any sense. So Three Lions is like the anthemic thing. It does the job of like speaking to the heart of like what football's about, particularly English football. It does the kind of bittersweet thing of like, uh, yeah, we haven't won it. Maybe this is our year. Uh, it totally works on the terraces. But then World in Motion is just, you know, Hookie's bass lines, John Barnes rapping, great melody, totally weird. So yeah, there are twin peaks for me. All right. That's a fairly good explanation. Why don't you kick us off? Was now? that comprehensive? Yeah, it's comprehensive. Yeah, it's good. Okay. Let's go from the sublime to the noxious. And I will say this is the sole choice I have that's really kind of infuriating so i'll uplift you after this one we'll get out of the way sexism jingoism and a sense of humor it's the new anthem for english football it is of course sven 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 And that was like what? That was like 2002 or something? Like, I, I remember this. 2001, which is Fuck. one of the most bizarre things about that. And I will say, I, I included that for the intro. That was the Top of the Pops appearance. And I think it's Gail Porter. It's obviously Scottish. And she is not having it. <laughs> She's just like sexist, jingoistic, and a sense of humour. This is like an English anthem. Uh, I think you could probably, if if I'd been aware of this song, I wasn't at the time, I wouldn't have been as surprised about the Brexit vote. I think this sowed the seeds of the Scottish independence um, kind of campaign. Um, I think this is of historical importance. It's terrible. It is Sven 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 by Bell and Sperling. Um, Martin Bell and Johnny Sperling, apparently they're a comedy duo. They had another song called, can you remember Dave? You might know. Uh, I don't know, but I do remember this. Golden Balls. Oh, God. I remember this, though. I do. I remember watching Top of the Pops and seeing these fucking clowns in their England jerseys mill around. And yeah. just, it was just this, it's the smugness of it. And I remember, I remember the hook. I remember the cadence. Why am I talking about it like it's a fucking girl's lead song? I remember just being <laughs> disgusted and just that kind of like well, horrible, like- supercilious, like... And then, yeah, just like the, like not even coded racism or coded like mental health bashing or like Stan Collie Moore is insane. All right, that's nice. Good, good job. Yeah, there. well, like we got we got the tail end of, uh, of a kind of gross like Swedish dig as well. Uh, the next verse goes on to like have a go at lovable Arsenal stopper David Seaman. They have great fun with his surname. They tell him to cut his hair. He's compared to Peter Stringfellow, um, which is another kind of ignoble name to add alongside Jimmy Savile. There, they quote Churchill. They also say that when we win the World Cup, uh, Jordan's going to get them out for the lads, which is like, I feel like at the time, Katie Price 
it wouldn't have t- t- taken like England winning the World Cup for to get her top off. No, no. But anyway, that's neither that's neither here nor there. Different time. It's like the soundtrack. It's the soundtrack to like reading Nuts magazine in an <laughs> East End barber's. It's horrendous. <laughs> if it wasn't bad enough, it's like what? It's like some like anglicized calypso. The music oh, it's, is it's a disgrace. so obnoxious. It's a disgrace. I, also, the, I, 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 I deliberately didn't pick this. I was just like, it's I know, too I trash. Was, I was on the fence. <laughs> but what I love about it is, right, it's the most English thing ever because it's celebrating uh, the 5-1 victory over Germany, right? So it's celebrating one game <laughs> that was a World Cup qualifier. <laughs> I was like, how far in the mud English football was at the time. Um, I think the actual World Cup, Germany ended up getting to the final. Like England crashed out in the quarters as per usual. So it was like celebrating nothingness. So small time, so racist, sexist, everything. Bizarre that I got to number seven. Oh, good stuff. Not. Well done, lads. Do you remember the time when um, I think it was like, remember like Spurs had a comeback against Arsenal in a league match that didn't even mean anything and they put out a DVD of it. <laughs> just like, for fuck's sake. That is so Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. What I do you will, got, man? Well, it's not as, it's not as objectionable, okay? But my number five good. is absolutely baffling and yeah, it's, uh, I wondered why it existed. I figured it out. Here's the song first, and then we'll get into the why. Do you know who that is? Do you know who that is, Greg? Well, it's clearly an alien trying to uh, pretend that they know anything about football. No, I do not know who that so is. So this is That's Football um, by... <laughs> you mentioned an Arsenal and England stopper earlier on. An Arsenal and Chelsea stopper, Peter Cech, and Queen drummer, Roger Taylor. It's a charity single that they put out several years ago. It's two and a half minutes long, by the way, and it just has that horrible mixture of like... I, I don't even know what Peter Cech's going for, if he's trying to play some kind of weird everyman robot or something. And then, of course, here's Roger Taylor with his, oh, I can do what Freddie Mercury did. Of course I can. I was in the same band as him. So let's have a shit guitar riff, a stomping drum beat, and this kind of like horrible swagger about nothing. It genuinely sounds like it was made by an AI. And like I say, you might be wondering why this came to pass. Well, let the lads tell you about it. We met on an airplane. Uh, going to Lisbon. And then on the way back, actually, I asked Roger if he could sign something for my sort of drum shit I have at home. And I just said, come over for lunch and we'll play some drums. The goalkeeper is so important to holding the team together. And it's just, the drummer's just as important in the band. You know, the band, the, without the drummer, nothing. Without the drummer, nothing. That's amazing. Listen, I'm a drummer and I understand where yeah, he's coming from. Yeah, I was going to say... But <laughs> like, <laughs> have you ever empathised with goalkeepers? Do you think there's a similar mindset between people that you take up the drums and people that go in goals? 
Well, good. when I played five aside, I would actually end up in nets quite a bit, and I'd save up my legs. Well, there so we go. Very, very David De Gea of me, so I don't really know what that means. But like, it was just as soon as I, as soon as Roger Taylor opened his mouth with that sentence, I was like, "Oh, he's going to compare goalkeeping to drumming, isn't it? It's like keeping time. It's like keeping the team in check, and you're the rhythm, and you're all you're all these things. And without you, they can't do it, mate." So Roger Taylor's got a huge ego. This is known. Uh, Peter Check seems like one of these knockabout kind of lads. He started putting up like drum covers on YouTube there years ago. Like he would just be like, "Here's my cover of Nirvana" or whatever. And I think he's got a podcast or something. He's one of those, you know, like more than a footballer, modern type people who has attracted something of a pop culture following. Um, I always feel bad digging down charity singles, but this is just sounds like it was written, as you say, for aliens who have just discovered what football is and are trying to pass. It's the kind humans. of like that'll do lyrics, isn't it? It's just a laundry <laughs> list of the night that, you know, just for the fame. There's a bit later on where he starts, he starts saying stuff like save red card. And it's like, what the fuck? Is because happening? Do you know what? It's the ultimate doubling down of like most football songs, if they're not, if they're not done by like huge fans, there'll be like a cursory kind of like, it's compulsory to put in at least one or two like awkward references. Like you have a lot of that in World in Motion where like New Order clearly don't know that much about football, but they'll just kind of crowbar in some stuff. This is just an entire song of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, completely. Read by a footballer who should know better. But there's also <laughs> that element as well where like it's just it, it's such a wonderful window into the world of strange celebrity where it's like they met on a plane and Roger Taylor was like, come on over to the gaff. Let's play some drums. <laughs> and next thing you know, they're writing a song because why That's not? That's how you end up on Epstein's Island. That's all I'm saying. All right. All right. Let's have your number four then. I'm going to... I'm going to class up my list with um, some Gallic magic. Together now was, of course, Jean-Michel Jarre with Japanese producer Tetsuya Komoro um, and someone called Olivia on vocals there. It was the track um, that Jarre put together when he was tasked with officially soundtracking France 98. So I think it was like, you know, football music collisions, usually for the most part, they're kind of like just like Luddite affairs. They're either cheesy, they're like bizarre for the lyrics. Maybe that's where the weirdness lies. This, this makes me want like grimes for the next world cup which is Qatar. so i don't know maybe a grimes protest album against a brutal regime that's also the official soundtrack which would be weirdly very grimes and very fifa with their kind of fifa courts but i just love that john michel jarre was like picked (laughs) to soundtrack france 98 he performed this at the Eiffel Tower on Bastille Day in front of 600,000 people to celebrate France winning, <laughs> which is incredible. And I just think, like, it's so out there. And the fact that, like, you know, what, 18 years later, you had David Guetta opening Euro 2016. That's not progress, my friend. That is not progress. Um, well, Guetta is one of I, France's top this. men, as we learned last week. So <laughs> They're both so, like, tangentially football. Like, this is got barely any references i don't know what it's trying to do but i'm digging it 
Well, yeah, I mean, like, if you're going to hire a renowned experimentalist, what are you expecting, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's funny, because, like, you think of France 98, and, like, I don't know, like the, the, even though it was France, there was still that weird kind of carnival stuff that was always, like, yeah. put onto these tracks, or even, like... Was Angel by Massive Attack, which we discussed recently, was that for France 98 as well, maybe, possibly? I don't know. I mean, like, there's just this weird... Probably. You had a lot of kind of... Carnival I think you had a lot of kind of Nike ads, right? They probably had the Samba stuff that was constantly on the TV. So, yeah. yeah. But the real heart Um, of it, Greg, what you're saying here, was Jean-Michel Jarre. Jean-Michel Jarre, who I always remember in the hot press one day, as Stuart Clark just kind of shouting out to no one... He was on the phone and he just shouted out, does anyone want to interview Jean-Michel Jarre? And he got no response from me or anyone else. I kind of regret it. I just said too much on, but I I didn't know what to say to him. We could have talked about this, but alas, it never happened. What else you got, man? Jean-Michel Jarre? Yeah, classic Stuart. Like, fucking hell. All right, number four for me. Um, It's pretty much the same type of thing as my fifth entry, but it's just so utterly bizarre that I couldn't not leave it in. So here we go. You can play a rock, it'll never be enough Cause you know we're invincible We'll leave you in the dust And you know it really sucks When you never even see the ball Yeah, we're talking about football So that's a, that song is called Football, and it's taken from Pro Evolution Soccer 2008, the video game. <laughs> I don't know who made it. I tried to find the credits, but it's confusing, as is the song. So as you'll hear there, you have this weird kind of, I, I mean, like, it's this kind of like mixture of like a punk song and I guess a status quo song or something. And you've got like two vocalists, right? But you got one guy arguing for the use of the word football to describe football, and you've got another yeah. person arguing for use of the word soccer to describe soccer. He sounds Australian. Am I right? He sounds Australian or English, um, and he's the one arguing for soccer, but it should be the other way around, right? I mean, like, why is the American See, I man- thought he was Australian and he was saying soccer. But it's still do Australians even say soccer? Confusing. I don't know. I mean, they've got Aussie rules it's, it's football, extremely- so maybe, but it's still odd. And then it's just like... Again, much like the Peter Check Roger Taylor wonderful union, it genuinely feels like there was a boardroom meeting by people who don't know what football is and just came yeah. up with this. What if we have this like cool song and you can say stuff like, you know, you can leave them in the dust you know, and, and like it, it'll really, really suck when you never ever get the ball. And it's like, it's just this played. So this was like on the menu screen of Pro, Pro Evo 2008. And this was still back in the glory days of like, well, which is better, Pro Evo or FIFA? And for a while, Pro Evo was. Pro Evo, Pro Evolution Soccer 2006, which is, sorry, Pro, Pro, Pro Evolution Soccer 6 is, for my money, the best football game that there's ever been. It was on PlayStation 2. And then pretty much after that, it kind of started to go downhill a bit. FIFA started getting a bit better. It was a weird time, Craig. It was a real, like, culture war. And I remember getting Pro Evo 2008, throwing it on, and being greeted by this utterly baffling music. Because unlike FIFA, they wouldn't have had cool stuff like Robbie Williams doing an exclusive song. You know, that wasn't (laughs) happening back there. So you got stuff like this. This soundtrack also has a song called, like, Go For The Goal, which is this ridiculous of course it does. um like it's just this ridiculous rock song which is much better than this but this is just i mean like once heard never forgotten it's so strange it's so out of place and especially it's, because like i say at the sounds, time pro ev was like the yeah the, the footballers football fan game and you're like what the fuck am i being greeted Did, with this here? was the turning point was this the turning point i think so yeah pretty much this might have done it this might have been it the, sounds the actual to me like killer. um 
It sounds to me like just kind of really generic, like um, the kind of track you might get off, you know, Audio Jungle, which is like if you're an advertiser or if you if you kind of just need backing music, you can go on and like search for songs that kind of sound like things. It sounds to me like this is just so vaguely kind of football-y, but bit punkish. It just ticks boxes. It could almost be fucking Adam and Joe's, like, the footy song. Do you know what I mean? Although it's not a joke. (laughs) All right. Um, Well, at least it's going for, like, the big themes. You know, it's football. It's soccer. This is um, narrowing in on one team in particular. Uh, This is number three. It could have been number one, but I'm hedging my bets. I, I was expecting maybe some crossover with this one. It's a little obvious. It's incredible. Here we go. Reading FC there with they call us the Royals. <laughs> I talked about it a few years ago, maybe. It's just infamous at this stage. I think it came out in 2016. Um, it was actually written by um, Reading's chairwoman, who's, I, th- I think, a songwriter by trade. I'm not sure about that. Get out of town. Um, Lady Sazima. <laughs> I'm not so sure. Um, but she said of the song that is trendy. Uh, it was co-written by a world-class composer who isn't revealed. And it's very much of the British rock genre, which I'm not sure about. I had to include that rap. Um, the best thing about the rap is that whoever the rapper is, they're not in the video, which is just like a total board meeting video of like, get every kind of demographic of fan possible to just vaguely cheer. Um, it's wholesome in a like really corporate way. Um, it's just so grand as well, isn't it? Like, it's not just... Royal, it's rocky as well. It's rising to the challenge of our rivals. Their blood's blue, their wings, stuff's going on. It's fucking Reading FC, who I think are <laughs> mid-table in the championship. And when the football comes back, I think their first game is like against Stoke. And they're just going on about their fucking the challenge of their rivals. Oh, it's so dramatic. <sighs> like it's and that delivery on Royals, I can't even do it. Like I, I was gonna try yeah. it. It's it's so dramatic. It's I so mean, like it sounds like it's 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 interesting the opening to a really terrible television show that you'd be watching when you're like mitching home from school and being like, Who the fuck commissioned this? There's something of the Disney tune about it, yeah. It's or like a, a really a Eurovision song, but like oh, not a yeah, not the yeah, finals, big like a semi Eurovision semi final song that doesn't make it to the last <laughs> night. <laughs> okay, well that actually is interesting because I mean, like uh, you've so so this was commissioned by the club, yeah. This is what you're saying. This is like officially, yeah. It was co-written by the <laughs> like okay. the board, the chairwoman. How do you chairwoman. feel? How do you feel about when an entire club? gets involved like the squad <laughs> like you know like, like the players on the um, pitch showing that they've been extra I'm for strength about i'm glad you do craig because step forward the manchester united winning treble side of 
believe. Yep, that's the Manchester United treble winning heroes of 1999. Solskjaer, you Definitely York, a Liverpool Sherman, fan on the mixing desk. Michael. Put those vocals right up front. <laughs> the song is called Lifted High, open bracket, all about belief, close that bracket. So um, this is terrible, obviously. Like that goes without saying. Remember that. They are, they are violently out of tune. Like they are terribly, terribly cannot sing. This is very, very clear. Um, the video is like a weird splice of, you know, shots of them playing with this kind of strange uh, colour effect on like, like on the highlight reel and then the lads all assembled in a big mm. studio together and they're all like nudging each other in the shoulder and they're singing into microphones some of them are really into it like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is clearly giving it a go Peter Schmeichel appears to be like the locker room leader I, I don't even know if Roy Keane turned up you know you got like Jesper Blumquist with a big he smile on his face uh, Dwight York looks completely bemused Teddy Sheringham is obviously into it as well it's so obviously like, right, lads, you're going to the studio on Monday. Let's just get this done. And of course... Yeah, they sound they sound like hungover. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's something very haunted about it. It really is haunted. And of course, I mean, listen, I'm sure every single person was like, uh, Oasis? <laughs> Oasis much? Have you heard this band <laughs> yeah. called it's Oasis? totally rip-off. It's like. such a violent rip-off. Of, it has all of the tropes. It has like... You know, the the big lifting Noel Gallagher, like, you know, kind of Liam Gallagher focal, like, into the, getting towards the chorus. You got the, like, the the little guitar lift, the drum, like, dum, 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 and then, like, just, like, away with it. And the, that twangy guitar, it's so violently of its time. It's such a artificial creation. It's terrible. And uh, my abiding memory of this, I was, what, like, fucking 15, 14 at the time. And yeah. my abiding memory was me excitedly hearing it on the radio and telling my dad Did about you buy it, it. Telling my dad about it and saying, <laughs> telling my not interested dad about it, even though he's a United fan himself, and me saying, it's actually pretty good. <laughs> so, <laughs> and he was like, that's nice. <laughs> you were caught up in the, the glory of the year. It was a hell of a that's time. Allowed. It was a hell of a time. Um, it was a hell of a time. Um, we do know, of course, the best United song is United Calypso, which is a Calypso done right. I think it's from the 50s. It's about the Busby Babes. It's such a tune. Uh, I still blur that out. Really good. Another tune, Dave. Um, and we were kind of talking briefly without giving away what we we're going to pick. This is the earworm that's been trilling me for days. Um, Bizarre might be stretching it slightly, but I think I need to let the people know. It's definitely unique. Uh, what's weird is kind of the lengths the creators went to to make it a thing. Uh, kudos to them. Um, and it's an anthem not for club or country, but for one single footballer. But who? Alessandro Del Piero, Neymar Forlan, Persie, Nakata, Jean-Pierre Papin, Balak, Van Persie, Beckham, Giggs, Goals, but the strongest of them all. Zidane, Zidane. Stop the list. So good. This is amazing. It's so good. <laughs> Shut it down. That's Vaudeville Smash with Zinedine Zidane. Um, the voice is Les Murray, who's uh, apparently like Australia's most famous kind of football presenter. He passed away a few years ago, but this was 2014. Um, Vaudeville Smash are like a kind of little known funk kind of pop band from Melbourne. Um, and this is like their only real major mark, um, this collaboration. They just asked your man Les, would he read out 
all these um, footballers' names and contributed. And he was like, yeah, sure, I like the chorus. And Les knew a chorus, clearly, because it's so good. I love it's like a fucking anime like theme tune. It's just so epic. It's superstar is amazing. It's like hyperbolic. It's heroic. I, I I love the list of names as well because it's just like all these tremendous footballers, but also they have in there like Mark Bosnich, <laughs> Harry Q. <laughs> the only other name that he that Les Murray gets really worked up for is of course Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He is a real oomph, and there's kind of something wistful about it as well. Like, it, it made, like, a time list of alternative World Cup songs for 2014. But, of course, Zidane was, like, long gone. I mean, you could argue he's... Is he is he the strongest of them all? Maybe he is. Is he better than Messi? No, but the strongest of them all. What he embodies, I think, is captured in this song. Uh, head, wood, and all. And the video's great as well. They did, like, a kind of Point Break style thing with, like, a Zizou mask. And as I said, they spent like, they put themselves like 20 grand in debt just to produce it. And then it like took off online. Um, Fair play to them. I mean, no debt collector in the world could possibly (laughs) collect like like, like on this, hunt you down. Come on, it's for a good cause. It's a noble cause and it's absolutely magnificent. And it's going to make my number two look especially watered down and wishy-washy as it already was. Kick it off. All my friends didn't seem to Um, some uh, a boy band. I, fig- I figured we needed some One Direction style heroics pre One Direction. This might be where they got their sound from. This is the Players from Norway. The song is called "This yes. Is for Real," and it's made up of Oyvind Svenning, Freddy dos Santos, Raymond Kuzvik. Christopher Hasted, and of course, fronting this project, Blackburn Rovers legend himself, Mort Gamst Pedersen. I didn't know this was a thing, but apparently between 2006 and 2009, they existed in some form. They were signed to fucking Universal, apparently. So this song, uh, very little information about it on the the old internet, Craig, but uh, proceeds of the sale of the single went to a Red Cross charity project called Soccer Against Crime. And yeah, it's the most like turn of the century, top 30 hits, Sixpence None the Richer kind of pop song, I suppose. Just feels like it's been written a thousand times. I don't even know if the, if this is these guys' vocals. It's such a strange idea. Like, let's make a boy That's band thing, like existing what footballers. The, but what's, yeah, what are they trying to, what are they trying to achieve, Dave? <laughs> but like the lads, you know what I mean? Soccer against crime, it, it, I suppose, it, yeah. Because it's, but it feels like a, like, do they genuinely love this kind of music? They seem into it. I can never understand when people are really into this very watered down that's bland the best part, yeah. boy band pop. It's earnest, you know? They mean yeah, it. There's it's conviction. Totally earnest. I feel like at least four of these five lads have had their heart broken and one of them is a heartbreaker. <laughs> that's usually how these things work, right? Who do you think is the bad boy? <laughs> Freddy Dos Santos for me, I would say. If you were to assemble... Oh yes, 100%. If you were to assemble a boy band out of current footballers, who would it be? Who goes in? You can have four, you can oh, have God, five. It's a very good question. Erling Braut Holland um, obviously is going in there, right? Nineteen, baby faced, tearing up the Bundesliga. He's the heartbreaker. Sure. Okay. Give me some more names, Dave. 
Marcus Rashford. Have you thought about this? I'm thinking about it now on the spot. This is live podcasting. Mark Marcus Rashford. He like Marcus Rashford. He's the sensitive, kind one. I think he's more into. He's probably Britpop though. I don't think he'd agree to sign up. Really? I, he strikes me as like he's a Manchester guy. Okay, Jesse Maybe Lingard. Jesse Lingard. And Britpop. Jesse Lingard. Oasis and I think. Yeah, Lingard would be there. He'd be the joker of the pack, wouldn't yeah. he? He'd be like the he'd break away and have like a Robbie Williams style career where it's like we didn't think he had that talent, but he's really fulfilling it now. <laughs> um, yeah, Jesse Lingard as Robbie Williams, sensational. Yeah, we're on to a good one here. We'll try and figure this out by next week. Let's go for my number one, and I'm going to bring some balance to the list um, because I started with the intolerance of Sven Sven Sven. Um, Gonna enlist the Germans to show us how it's done um, with this camp peach of a song. So that was far away in America um, for the 94 World Cup, of course. It was the Deutsche Fußball uh, National Mannschaft. And it was also the sound of the village people who they enlisted to help them out. This is one where you kind of need to see the video. Again, the players uh, brought in on backing vocals alongside all of the village people. Um, I think Jürgen Klinsmann is maybe the most into it. He's bopping away Goodo, And you can kind of see in his face... Back then in 1994, he's like, that's it. I'm moving to America. I'm going to manage the national American team. Um, just This is going to be my new life. Uh, it, it peaked at number 44 on the German chart, which I think does it a huge disservice. Uh, the lyrics aren't really about football at all. They're kind of about America. Uh, let's just have a look at them. When you want some action, that's the way it's got to be. And you'll find out if you stay. You'll be making friends in America today, okay? And it goes on to talk about it being a tough man's paradise. Um, take a flight or ride in America. There's a rainbow in your eyes on the other side of America. And yeah, in the video, the cowboy's really selling it. Um, Oliver Kahn looks like he doesn't know what's going on. They were, of course, the world champions at the time. I don't know why they brought in the village people. Why not, maybe? Yeah, why not? Was, was David Hasselhoff busy? He just seems like the, the natural cheesy pop choice. But it certainly works. And it's a really nice sentiment. There was a lot of kind of weird, but kind of great cheesy songs around the, the 94 World Cup. You get like Tina Turner doing, doing stuff. Uh, you had Daryl Hall of Hall and Oates, who did like a, a kind of sub Springsteen song called like Gloryland or something, which was kind of about the World Cup, but actually just about America, which is great if you want to dig it out. Um, but yeah, the village people teaming up with the German um, World Cup winners is fantastic for me. Our gold standard on this show when it comes to football songs, of course, is the dramatic, epic, sensational duo team up of Glenn Hoddle and Chris Waddle, Diamond Lights. Yes. It's a song that we played before. We might even end the show today by playing it again. It's just astounding, and I say that with no sense of irony. I love it. Now, did you know, Craig, that Chris Waddle has more strings to his bow in the musical world? Yeah, 
Yeah. I did. And I couldn't bring myself to listen to what you're about to play. So this is my first time hearing it. Okay. Because I didn't want it to sully diamond lights. This is going to be dreadful. Here right? we go. Well, Basil, to tell the truth, in my cradle, in my early youth, I kicked up, punched my rubber balls with great emotions, I recall. That's Chris Waddle alongside Basil Bowley, Bowley and Waddle with some wonderful, I would say, progressive R&B in the form of We've Got a Feeling, a song that arrived during his time at Marseille. Very different from the glacial pop tones of Diamond Lights, to say the least. Now, I'm going to read some stuff Found here. Found the sunshine. From... <laughs> he did find the sunshine. Um, there's an article on a website called The Football Times from a couple of years ago by Luke Ginnell. It's called Waddle at Marseille, How Magic Chris Found Freedom in France. This is how the article opens. Clad in a shirt that even kaleidoscopic tat mannequin and occasional fullback Danny Alves might be moved to describe as loud, Basil Bowley beams intently at a television superimposed onto the wall in front of him and begins to sing directly into it. He is not a good singer. Yet, his audience, improbably observing from within the television itself, consisting entirely of just one person and awkwardly getting Chris Waddle, is captivated. Waddle, unconvincingly besuited and with a bowler hat clinging grimly to his mullet, performs a visibly self-conscious on-screen jig and continues to smile wanly, but says nothing. Bowley goes on. He asks him a question in French. The question is delivered with an air of genuine incredulity. Bowley, it seems, is in awe of the man with whom he is communicating through the medium of a song. And with good reason. It's 1991, and having spent the past two seasons cutting a swathe through the French top flight with Olympic Marseille, Chris Waddle is the toast of Provence. To the adoring Marseillais, he is magic Chris, and his fame is such that for the second time in his football career, he has agreed to be part of a highly dubious pop duo. Now, apparently, so Basil Bowley is a French defender, played for the same club, also a footballer, of course. Apparently, one day, he just came up to Chris Waddle, tapped him on the shoulder, and was like, let's do a song. And Chris was like, what kind of song? And Basil Bowley was like, we can do like a African... <laughs> a bad one! <laughs> we can do an African-European <laughs> rap. And Waddle... And I think he's being oh serious my God. here. I think he's being genuine. He basically responded with, uh, mate, I wrote Diamond Lights. Like, I only make serious music. <laughs> Did he actually say that? Something along those lines. Oh my God, I love that. <laughs> First of all, did he write Diamond Lights? Because... He's like going up and down in I my estimation. This is a roller coaster. I feel like he didn't write it. No, <laughs> he turned up to the studio. It was a large part of that greatness. But my God, this was so ill-advised. Oh my God. I can understand though. That, that was, first of all, that was a lot of compelling information to take in. <laughs> One experience he had. I can kind of see how he got swept up in like just the atmosphere of the time. A lot of stuff was happening. You know what I mean? Um... I wonder how he looks back on this one, if he does at all. Can't imagine it's, it's, it's that he hideous. has any kind it's of dreadful. It's, it's terrible. I mean, like, like it's 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 tone deaf. It's bizarre. It's completely strange. It it feels problematic. It just feels wrong. Like it doesn't feel. Yeah. Like, but it, but again, Waddle's innocent. He didn't instigate it. He did nothing. He's grand. He just showed up once again. Like he just he's a man who comes into the studio, one take, gets it done, and you're left with some football <laughs> pop majesty. I hadn't heard this song until this week, and it is genuinely astounding. I wonder how Glenn Hoddle felt about the whole thing. Betrayed, I would say. 
Betrayed. Absolutely betrayed. As always. Yeah. I feel like that's his default setting. It's his general setting. All right. Um, I think that's... But yeah, what a duo they I were. I think that's it for the, for the old top five this week. And uh, yeah, go watch some old football for the weekend, I suppose. Other listening corner, Craig, what you got? Feels like other music doesn't really matter at the moment um, after those lists. But Rolling Blackouts, Coastal Fever, have a new album. Um, Sideways to New Italy, which I've been kind of getting into. I was a big fan of their last album, their first EP. Uh, this hasn't really got its claws into me. Um, I don't know if this, the hooks are quite as strong. There's some great songs on it. Um, Cars and Face, um, some other stuff, Cameo. Uh, but yeah, not hugely doing it for me as yet. Um, and of, of course, I'm listening to a huge amount of Steely Dan. Um, Gaucho this week, Dave. It's kind of um, their 80s or, you know, cusp of the 80s cocaine album. It's their LA album, Sprawling. It's very, very good. It's probably not the best entry point, but listen to it anyway. How about you? Well, I was also listening to the Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever album. It's fine. I, it felt very like the drums or something from 2010. It just felt very kind of unfinished or something. They're a great band. I just don't know if this is their strongest set of songs. Um, there's some nice kind of guitar parts and there's some very good songs. But yeah, it's, it might be kind of difficult, difficult kind of second album syndrome. I don't know. Yeah, it's fine. It didn't really grab me. Uh, there's some other stuff this week, though. Uh, the Blaze. Remember The Blaze? Remember that band, the French duo I used to rave about like crazy? Just when I thought I was out, yes, Craig. Yes, your, your sweet, sweet plays. My sweet, sweet plays. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. They did this gig, right? Talk about the ultimate fucking social distancing gig ever. They did this gig atop the French Alps. So they're on top of this kind of mountain, this building atop a mountain thing. And they got like a David Guetta-esque setup. But thankfully, the music is a bit more serene. And like the sun's going down in the background. There's these 360 drone shots. It's the most blazed thing that ever blazed. And it's fucking amazing. It's like an hour long. <laughs> I encourage everyone to just throw it on and just sink away. You'll feel transported. It's absolutely amazing. And a, an album that I know that you're very fond of turned 10 years young on the day of recording, I believe. Enemies. And we've been talking. We've been talking. What a tremendous album. One of the best Irish albums of the century, I will say. Um, yeah, loved it when it came out. Um, just kind of wore it out. It was a soundtrack to me starting my music journalism career. Um, and yeah, went back to it earlier on today, actually. Um, still holds up, still, you just sink into it. It's warm, it's inventive, a real, it's a bit of a, a an Irish masterpiece, I think. Yeah, I would go on board with that as well. And I, I believe Rated Aura by Queens of the Stone Age also had a birthday. There was an Ariel Pink album that had a birthday. It's a busy time. I've also been going back to the Code Orange album from earlier this year. It's called Underneath. If you want your metal fix, that's pretty good, I would say. This episode of No Encore, in which, I'll be honest, I very much gave a 5 out of 10 performance. I feel like the manager would have pulled me off at half time, so to speak. This episode was engineered by Sonic. I thought you were great. And also... Adam Shanahan. Thank you, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, lavish praise upon him. I was going to say, hire Dave, he's great. Hire Dave, he's usually, he's usually in better form um, sometimes. Yeah. He has more energy on occasion. Um, and also, I will say, James Rodriguez for um, the boy band. That's a really good shout, yeah, definitely. Okay. Definitely. Thank okay. you, that's my contribution. So we got I'm three out. down, we need two more, we'll get there by the end of the week. Let us know at No Encore Show, or on Patreon, patreon.com slash No Encore. And to play us out this week, Exit Music for Ones, the best football song of all time, it is of course hoddle waddle and diamond lights back next week
part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Celebrate this July 4th with a special presentation of A Capital Fourth. Join your host, Vanessa Williams, with performances from Sea to Shining Sea, starring Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Alan Jackson, Cynthia Erivo, Pentatonix, Renee Fleming, Train, Jennifer Nettles, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen, Ali'i Cravalho, Laura Osnes, Ali Stroker, and the greatest live fireworks display in the USA. It's A Capital Fourth, sponsored by the Boeing Company and American Airlines, Sunday, July 4th, 8, 7 Central only on PBS. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.